Welcome to What Should I Do With My Life? Figuring it out from those who seem to have it all figured out. I'm your host, Stephanie Horowitz. When's the last time you stopped and asked yourself, what am I doing with my life? Why am I doing this? Do I even like this? Join me as we hear the inspiring stories of real people to find out what they did and are doing with their lives. Are they satisfied? Would they have done anything differently? Maybe through these stories, we will figure out how to bring more meaning and passion in our day-to-day. Shalom, everyone. We have an awesome episode today with the talented and inspirational Mia Schoen. Mia, a Boston native with artistic talent in her blood, has taken Tel Aviv by storm with her captivating public mosaics. A visual artist with many different tricks up her sleeve, aka she's a mosaicist, a painter, a certified graphic designer, an entrepreneur, and more, Mia talks about how she uses art to bring people together, her process of creating a public piece to share with the world, and what she's learned from the various detours along the way. You can learn more about Mia and check out her work at mosaicwithmia.com. Enjoy! Hi, Stephanie. How's it going over there? Good. I'm in the basement of the paint bar. What's the paint bar? Tell the folks at home. Okay. The paint bar is is my family's business. It's a paint and sip shop, which means you learn how to paint step-by-step a specific painting by an instructor. And then there's also a bar inside. So um, the, the name is pretty self-explanatory, but it's not. I feel like that's like a really good place to be during Corona or quarantine. Like, oh, I'm in a, I'm here in a bar. Yeah. And there's art supplies and paint. I feel like you could have a lot of fun with that. It's sort of like there's the basement is where all the inventory is. So when like all the shops were closed and I needed art supplies, like I felt like it was my own private Michaels. Like I would come here and just grab stuff. That's the and dream. also like beer and wine. <laughs> oh my God. That's everything. I miss Michaels. So I just want to let everyone know that today we're being joined by Mia Schoen and she's amazing. And it's a very funny connection, but we only became friends later in life in Israel, but our moms grew up together in New York. And I believe that when my mom discovered Facebook and discovered she could find old friends, she looked up Mia's mom, reached out, and then she found out that we went to the same university. Mia's sister went to the same university. So all these great things. But we really connected here in Israel. Mia has an amazing story. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here. So we're just going to dive in. So in a sentence, can you just tell me what you do? Well, I do a lot of different things, but I'll try and sort of narrow it down. I'm a visual artist with a focus on installing public mosaic murals. So you're a badass, basically, and very (laughs) talented one at that. I've seen your work and I've participated in some of your workshops, and we're going to talk a bit more about that. So Mm -hmm. From what I understand, as you said, the paint bar is your family business that really this artistic gene is very prevalent and that art and creativity is in your family. So I would just love to hear a bit more about your family background because I think it's really awesome. Okay. So art in our family, like we grew up, I grew up in a family very, very focused on art. And I think all of the women in our family are focused on art, which is interesting And so growing up, it was sort of like, I have 11 cousins. And if you're, it's like, you're the black sheep. If you're the doctor, like you're, we Mm, do have a doctor, like art is so ingrained in our family that it was never like a question that I would become an artist um, as my profession. So just tracing back, my great grandmother 
was born in Massachusetts in 1900 and she was a watercolor painter and also she used to illustrate um, models wearing lingerie before they put photographs in magazines. Oh, meow. Like, yeah, so she would paint these women wearing different, you know, whatever, slips or bras or so on. And um, that was her job. And then she also wow. painted a lot. And then that was on my grandfather's side. And then my grandmother is also um, a public sculptor who works in bronze. And then I have two of my aunts are artists. One is a textile designer and one is a, um, a pod or a ceramicist. And my and, I, and the textile designer also paints. Like everyone does everything. Oh my God. And then I mentioned um, my mom and sister have a business called The Paint Bar, which is where you paint and drink. So it's crazy. We, like, run deep. And I have a, my cousins are in art. My other cousin's like a fine artist and studying in school. And like, even the ones who aren't pursuing art professionally are still, I would say, very creative thinkers. And they could pursue art if they wanted to. Was this just obvious for you that this is what you would be doing? Obviously loved to do art when I was a kid, but I also think anyone born into my family would have been encouraged to do art. So like, I think my mom had her eyes open to like what kind of artistic talents we had. So it wasn't mm -hmm. like there are many people, friends of mine who are good at art. And I would say like, okay, if you were born into my family, you would have pursued that professionally instead of as like a hobby because the matriarch of our family is like a practicing artist and is very successful so it was like nobody could use the word like oh you don't want to be a struggling artist because it was right. be in our family because like that's that's what we do you had an amazing role model to look yeah. up to it's so true i was just thinking i feel like most families the stereotype would be don't be the struggling, starving artist, you know, don't right. do that. Do that as a side project. And you and your family literally took that and made that happen. So yeah. I would love if you could just talk a bit more about what that means that you're a visual artist and some of the amazing stuff you've done. So yeah, I, I say like a visual artist because I worked in a, work in a lot of different mediums. I do, you know, I really focused in school on painting, which is like my first focus. And I love doing portraits. So that was like my first thing and I kind of realized that would be difficult to do professionally so I kind of got into mosaic which is a very unique medium but um, mosaic is a great medium for somewhere like Tel Aviv because the city is full of concrete walls which are very suitable to do mosaics on and so when I moved there it was sort of like I should pursue these large-scale mosaics because Tel Aviv is sort of just asking for it and also the Mediterranean vibe um, it just like is that mosaics are very like they're all over the Mediterranean. So it just made sense to, or the Middle East, it made sense to pursue that. And then, you know, in addition to doing mosaics, like I probably still consider myself a painter at first. I like to do collage and I do a lot of sketching and um, I'm actually trained as a graphic designer and visual designer too. So oh my gosh, um, what you came to is in to so, sort of support my practice. I also have a studio in my house and I teach um, mosaic workshops in my home. So um, that's what you came to, which you were really good at. <laughs> oh, she's just yeah. saying that everyone. No, um, yeah. I have so many questions and so many things that I actually wrote down. One of the things I was thinking about was the walls that I remember. Yeah. I think I bumped into you uh, on the street and I said, what's up, what are you doing? And you were like, I'm looking for walls. Let me know if you see any walls and literally <laughs> in addition to bartering and trying to find amazing 
pieces and items you could use for the mosaics, you were looking at the city, looking for walls. And I just felt like, wow, so many of us just walk by, don't pay attention to anything like that. And I feel like it's just a totally different mindset looking at a city like that, with that yeah. being your goal. There's a term which urban planners use a lot, which is called placemaking, which you, like if you wanna sort of help increase visitors in a space or make a space feel better, happier, so on. I mean, there are many different things you could do. Like you could add outdoor gardens, which we see a lot in Tel Aviv, mm -hmm. like urban gardens, or you can add a piece of public art and sort mm -hmm. of it's a domino effect. Like if you install a piece of public art, then people will respect the space more and visit it more. And then in return, more shops will come in. And so it's like, I think it starts a lot of the times with art. So I walk around the city looking for spaces that I think could use a little like revamp mm -hmm. and I try and find walls in those spaces. Cause if I put like a piece of art that people want to visit, then maybe they'll just kind of stop littering and, um, vandalizing the space. So I do that a lot. I think I bumped into on like a really rainy day. Like I sort of, I try and like walk, I don't know if it was, I don't know. Sometimes I try and walk when it's like bad weather so that I can like be a freak and like measure walls and nobody will. Really <laughs> like yeah. I feel like you have yeah. so many, very <laughs> scrappy with this. Yeah. We're going to get into that, but yeah, so many things come to mind that I want to ask you about. First is what led you to take that first step of, okay, I'm going to make a public piece on this wall in this country. And this isn't my community that I was born and bred in. And how do you even get to that point where you just start making an amazing mosaic in a city on the wall? And then thousands of people end up taking pictures and loving that. What is that whole process like for you? Yeah. Well, the first one, I mean, the first one I did is very different from how I approach it now. I think having come from the United States, like we live in a lot of spaces that are very clean. I mean, I know you're also from like outer Detroit. So I know you've seen, I mean, Detroit is kind of working on it, but like mm -hmm. at least in Boston, I think, um, and there's like a lot of like active organizations installing work in Detroit and doing lots of projects in Detroit. But in Boston, it, Boston's so old and there's such like an emphasis on keeping it really neat and clean. Mm -hmm. And I think when I moved to Tel Aviv, I saw that it was like such a wild, like wild place with like, stuff everywhere free for all free for all and things are sort of falling apart and I was like what is this and um I'll talk about the mosaic I did that says um I love you so much on it because that's like a very public piece and I did that because I just kept walking by that wall and that space and the wall is in like a really it's like kind of an ugly square it's called yeah, uh, it the is. Kikara Tarim and it's kind of waiting to be rebuilt. But in the meantime, it's just sort of falling apart. And the piece is across the street or across the way from a former strip club. And yeah. so when I put the piece up, I was sort of looking at the space and I'm like, okay, people walk through this space all the time, but nobody's like standing here to enjoy it because it's falling apart. And we're yeah. all sort of just like waiting for it to fall apart, which yeah. sort of which bugs me, like, <laughs> like we are walking we, through it as fast as possible. Yeah. And why are we in this in between? Like, why are we waiting for this to be a nice space? So mm -hmm. I think that has to do with my grandmother being a public artist. And I've seen the way she's installed pieces with that piece in particular. Like I had just been uh, rejected from a $10,000 grant to do art. And, um, 
And I just like was really upset because I knew that public art has this power and I had been rejected. And so I just thought in my head, I need to make a piece that people will see the impact of it. And then I'll use that as a case study to reapply for another grant. So I did that piece like completely illegally and I felt like I could do it in that space because that space was so disgusting next to the strip club that like, I didn't think anyone would care. And I like like contrasts, like putting, you know, uh, I love you so much piece um, mosaic with like text in it next to a strip club because it's like, they really clash against each other, those two things. I don't know, I had a really good friend, Jen, and she came with me and we sort of started installing it at night and we kind of just did it. I don't know what really came over me that I felt like I could do that. <laughs> like, I don't know if I would do that now illegally. Like I would be, like I've seen too much to do like an illegal piece of art the way I did <laughs> years ago. It's but it's been, still standing and people yeah. are still taking pics by it's it all the time. Standing. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, I think that was a, like, I think Israel has a lot of wonderful talented artists and I think there's a lot of interesting graffiti in Israel and like really neat stuff. But I, in terms of like their public art, I don't know, I wish there were more. And so um, I just sort of started doing that. And I like, I, knew, I know how to install mosaics, so yeah. And you've done a lot of different public pieces around Tel Aviv. How do you feel when you see people uploading pictures by your works of art or taking pictures, you know, I mean, it's something you put so much into and it's beautiful and tourists, locals, it gets their attention and they capture that moment. Like, what does that feel like? Yeah, I feel like super psyched when people like take pictures because I feel, I'm always trying to like make my work inclusive. Like I don't like my work to be, I think a lot of people go into different galleries or art museums and feel like they shouldn't be there. And I think they're always like, I don't understand what this means. I don't understand it and so on. So I'm trying to make my artwork something that all people like, you know, from different places can kind of identify with the values or the text I put in it or just like the, the you know, patterns or just make it interesting. And um, when I finish, I always have like sort of a moment of myself, like before the piece is done, it's sort of mine. And then mm -hmm. like when I like wipe the last tile and like, I sort of say, okay, it's not mine now. It's like everyone else's. Wow. So that's the beauty of public art. Like it's mm. so accessible and it's like, it's beyond me now. <laughs> wow. So I love that. It's so powerful. I feel <laughs> like from an outsider looking in, when I look at you, I think, wow, Mia basically took her passion and her talent and then, and she does it and she shares it and then she, she can make a living off of it. She kind of took her passion and made it into her work. So I'd just love to know, because I feel like that's something a lot of people wish they could do, to take something that they love and make that really how they spend their days and live their lives, make a living. So how does that work for you? Um, it's really, it's very hard. I need to always find ways to like figure out, like it's like a puzzle with my income. Like, mm -hmm. and I've had times where I like haven't had enough work or, you know, and I'll, I'll kind of like stop what I'm doing and go work in a gallery or stop what I'm doing and go work in a tech startup. Like I have mm -hmm. moments where I feel really scared to be a full-time artist mm -hmm. and then I kind of like take a break and then I always find myself coming back to it. But um, yeah, like I, I just, you know, use, you have to really put in your hours in terms of admin hours. Like I'm mm -hmm. always applying for things or, you know, applying for grants or different projects and so on. 
And, um, and I think the workshop thing is huge. Like I, the workshops kind of fund my art most of the time. Cause some of the pieces at the beginning, I wasn't getting paid for. And so I would like host more and more workshops. That was key for me to sort of build a way to make income. And then I could funnel part of that into doing the public art, which would bring me more pieces of public art or commissions. And then I had more workshops. So it's kind mm -hmm. of like a, a mm -hmm. cycle, but yeah, like, I feel like I, I apply to so many things and I get rejected all the time. So I just need to keep being like, keep applying, keep submitting project ideas, you know, keep throwing my name out there. And I get really tired. Like, yeah, but um, How can I, you not? I, I feel like I really believe in what I'm doing. So I want to, I'm not going to give up. Like, I feel like I'm kind of on a wave, but um, there yeah. have been times where like, I'll be really worried, you know, that I'm not going to make enough this month or so on. And so, and then, you know, and then I just need to think creatively. So like, how can I make this work? Who could I reach out to who maybe wants a workshop or like, I have to put myself on the line all the time, <laughs> like out there. And I have to, you know, like nobody thinks to install a mosaic in, in their space. I have right. to, most of the pieces I approach people and I say, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea to have this in your space? Let's find a way together to figure out how to fund this. So, right. Yeah. Oh my God. There's so many things here. Uh -huh. I have so much I want to say and I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. First of all, I just wanted to say, I think this, you are a really good example and what you just said about, okay, sometimes you're a full-time artist and then sometimes you need to put on the brakes, go into a job, a more traditional job that might not be your passion, get back on track, what you need to do, and then keep pursuing it. And I think that's really important for people to hear because nothing is forever. You don't have to, you know, I mean, I think it makes it more realistic that people can pursue their passions if they don't put themselves in this box that I have to do this all the time. And this is it. You're right. saying you have to be flexible. You have to go with the flow. Sometimes it's going to look like this and sometimes it's going to look like that. Yeah. And so I, I, think, I mean, yeah. I think what you're saying is totally accurate. And also you never know what those detours will bring to your, your artistic practice. Like I worked in customer experience. Now I know how to work better and write contracts and work with customers. You know, like I worked in like a jewelry factory one time, you know, that taught me how to ship stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, totally. You, you never know what those detours will do for your career further down the line. So I actually think it is good to vary your work sometimes because mm -hmm. you'll always pull something from a job no matter what so yeah and how did you because you're an artist you're an entrepreneur you're a lot of different things how did you know how to start your own business um <laughs> well i sort of started before i started my own business like i started installing pieces and um, a lot of like teaching workshops and the structure of running workshops I knew about from the paint bar. I like look at my grandma a lot too. So I'm so lucky because I have all of these examples before me. My grandma is literally a public artist. So she taught me. She's how to a write. boss. Wait, what's her most famous piece? The ducklings, yeah, right? She's, she's the, a bronze sculptor. And if, for anyone who's been to Boston, she sculpted the make way for ducklings in the um, public garden in Boston. They're bronze ducks in a row. So, uh, and she's done many things, you know, all over the world. She has pieces in Moscow and Nashville, Tennessee, and, you know, all over. But like she, she shared her, her document with me on how to write a contract. 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I ask people all the time, like there are a lot of people who are in a similar field and, you know, you, it's like, you always want to be careful when people ask you, you know, but I sort of have learned like no one is going to be me. So if somebody has right. to ask me how to open a business or good contacts or like where I get my supplies, I usually tell everybody everything because like no matter what, they're going to be them and I'm going to be me. So um, definitely. Yeah, but it's like, I've had to learn a lot and I've made a lot of mistakes in running my own business. Like just, you know, now I have an accountant who I love and he's helped me really navigate the whole thing. But especially in Israel, like Mm -hmm. I had no idea how to do it. So um, there's so many resources for young business owners. So if you like, if you're scrappy, (laughs) you can always kind of find what you need in those resources and and people want to help you. So it's so funny because I know we were joking about the scrappy thing, but I feel like you apply it to your many aspects of your life here. Like when you're looking to make a piece and you're going to the flea market and looking here and I see a broken plate and you see, you know, something perfect for your piece. And then you're taking that into the business. Okay. What can I get here? What could I bring there? I mean, I think it's amazing. I well, love like it. everything, that's what's so symbolic about the term mosaic in general. Like mosaics are broken pieces and then you kind of have to put them together. So it's very symbolic of um, life, I guess. <laughs> I love it. I love a good metaphor. Yeah. But that's what it means. It's not even a metaphor. I wanted to ask, because I know that part of what you do is running these workshops at your house. And I've been to a workshop and it was amazing. And I made a beautiful mezuzah and it's on my bedroom door. How is balancing life and work when your workshop studio is in your house? What is it like to have strangers come in your house? What are the boundaries like? Was that a struggle for you to mix work and personal? Mm. That's a good, really good question. I think, um, well, luckily my studio, it's in a room. And so it, I, I mean, I don't know about your perspective. For me, it feels like it's a private space not I mean it's definitely in my home I like nobody sees my bedroom or anything so when I'm preparing um the studio I have to make sure everything's pretty clean you know like make sure it's like a nice space for people to come in it's definitely like I don't think about this too much but that you know any stranger knows my address (laughs) so like that's a little funny you know people just come into your house and hopefully they're okay. Like, you know, who they are and so on. But, um, I've had, I've never had a bad experience of anyone coming in, but I mean, the studio space is a workshop for people like you and different visitors and so on who want to learn how to make art, but it's also my space where I work. So Mm -hmm. when I step into my studio, it's not a space where I like watch Netflix or, um, you know, take a nap, like it's my workspace. So it sort of has the same feeling. That's why I like that. It's, I like that it's so close to my room so I can just like walk over, but it also completely changes my mentality like that. This is a workspace now. So it's like totally sometimes when I need inspiration or just like need to work, I go in there and I just like, don't bring any devices and I just Mm -hmm. start working. And then that gets me into the mode um, of working. But I, I mean, I like that I teach in my home because like I have full control and people can stay as long as they want. But, um, which is also bad if they don't leave, yeah, people can stay for a while, <laughs> but generally people will go and, or like, you know, I mean, I like yeah. it, like, I like people to not feel rushed when they're creating, 
So that's why I used to rent space and I felt like I was always rushing people. And now mm -hmm. that it's my own space, I can sort of be like, okay. And you know, it's generally like a class where there are a lot of people there. So I like that it creates this sort of social environment to make art. Definitely. And what is your favorite part about the different kinds of projects you're doing? Is it creating the art? Is it teaching? Is it the minute the mosaic in the public square is revealed? Mm. That's such a good question, Stephanie. I mean, I like, there are different aspects of it. Like, I like the teaching part because I like seeing people learn new things. Like, I like to learn new things. And so mm -hmm. it's exciting to me to see, like, when other people kind of, like, like, are taking a chance on themselves and are valuing themselves to kind of learn something completely out of their comfort zone. Like, that gets me, that's like a high for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think like in terms of the the mosaic when I like wipe the last piece clean and I walk away from it and I see this and mosaics like every time I start and I have a new wall it's so intimidating because like it's literally piece, small pieces piece by piece and I just it's like how am I ever going to get this done and then I finish and I wipe and it's like it's very emotional for me when I like walk away and I see like okay I'm done here and I pack up everything and I go especially when I'm on a piece for like a month you know, mm -hmm. and I'll just, you know, take a breath and I, and you know, it's a, I meet everyone in the location. I always like make new friends and, and then it's like, and then I'm done. So that's probably my favorite part of like my whole, my whole practice. But, um, mm -hmm. and, and then like, if I can see, you know, someone make something also in my workshops and then that sparks something within them, that's pretty great for me too. So it's amazing. And you also, something big that you do is really use the mosaics to bring people together or to give a powerful message, which you talked about before. And I know you were involved in a few different projects that really had some kind of strong message or were for a good cause or an organization that meant a lot to you. So do you have a favorite or something you'd like to say a few words about? I partnered with Cucinate, which is a women's organization in Tel Aviv for refugees. And it's sort of like a collaborative and they work together. And um, I think like a few years ago in Tel Aviv, when I'll just give some background in case people don't know, there was sort of a threat for deportation of, you know, refugees from like all different places living in Israel. And so the, the director of that organization reached out to me and she's like, do you think we could collaborate? I hadn't done anything political before. And also I felt sort of still new to Israel. And she asked if we could collaborate on a piece. And um, that's, I also like, I walked the whole city looking for the right place to install this mosaic. And they thought um, the, one of the founders of the organization, organization who, who is a nun thought of the term, we were all once refugees to incorporate into the mosaic. And she said that because it didn't use the word no. Like it wasn't like no to deportation or like mm. no to Israel or anything like that. It was more of an empathetic reminder sort of to the Israeli community that we too came here as refugees. And so I really could get behind the phrasing of it. Like it was such a strong reminder and such a strong statement. And we all got together and installed that mosaic in three days. So a lot of the women who are in that organi organization came and then I brought a lot of my friends and um, that was really an important piece. I think also because I was sort of understanding what was happening in Israel at the time. <laughs> yeah, 
It's yeah. amazing. And also like, I remember when she first asked me, I was like, uh, Dee, her name is Dee Dee and she's an unbelievable leader. And I was sort of like, I don't know if I'm the right person to do this. Like I'm from the United States. I made Aliyah not too long ago. And I just like, don't, don't know if I'm like up for this, <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's poli- going to be a political piece. And she's, she just is like, let's, you know, just do it. Let's do it. We really need to do this. And so I sort and, of yeah. had to step up, um, even though I was like really nervous about doing it. And yeah. And it was amazing and got really good feedback and got a lot of people talking and noticing it. And it's yeah. crazy. It's what you're saying <laughs> that what you do can really get people talking. Yeah. And I mean, it was only the reason we were able, we installed it really in a very central location, which I searched for, for about three weeks. I would just walk around Tel Aviv and I like a lot of steps in. Yeah. I got so many steps. <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, like I like installing pieces and in kind of weird places that look like they may fall down, but this one specifically, I knew they were going to knock the wall down. And so I was happy if that piece was up for three days because I felt like mm. the message was so strong. It was only supposed to be up for three months and it stayed up for about a year and a half just because they took their time kind of, and they worked around it for so long, but they took their yeah. time knocking down the building. But that's how we could do it because anybody around us would be like, Hey, you know, that's an, are you doing that illegally? But it, we were kind of like, well, this building's about to be knocked down. And then it, it was sort of like Hanukkah, like, right that's what happens here everything takes so long so So you just sort of count on it that everything's going to take a long time and then that also people will kind of engage with the piece so much that the construction Mm -hmm. workers like won't want to knock it down for a while Mm -hmm. so you get you get kind of more time with the piece standing that's what happened yeah that's exactly it was supposed to get knocked down and it's been years yeah, now it's knocked down. So, but you know, I, I've been talking to different organizations about a rebuild. So that's exciting. Oh, I don't know when that's going to happen, but we're trying. I wrote a proposal. And so hopefully we'll, we'll reunite with Kuchinate and I'll do it again. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, again, so much. Mia, you're a star. <laughs> uh, something that I was thinking about is how you in your day-to-day are basically creating. And I know that for me, like when I went to your workshop, that's not something I do often and I don't do art often. I used to love it growing up and I like drawing and I like doodling and I like painting and I like everything. But in my day-to-day, this really doesn't happen. But I know that, at least from what I read, that, you know, doing those kind of activities and having a creative outlet is really generally good for people and makes them feel good. It gives them a release or energizes them or just, you know, a break from life and to have fun. So I guess I wanted to know, for those of us who aren't lucky to be doing that all the time, how do you suggest people can bring more art in their day to day? Yeah, it's really hard to get started. I'm a big like advocate for joining classes because it then puts like, even I join classes. I join classes. Like I, I love, you know, Zumba, <laughs> but like I, I try and do things also that challenge me or I try and like take a class that will challenge me because I think it's important, but a class makes you show up every week. And like, especially when you pay for it, I think that there's a certain responsibility that you have. And also you don't want to waste your money that you, you know, invested in this class. If you don't have the means to take a class, I would like 
there are a lot of challenges you can set for yourself like online like 31 days of art or something like even i do this sometimes too and you have a list that gives you like different topics like it'll be like day one daffodils day two this and you can sort of take you know just start drawing or take um you know a, a great way to get started is to copy things like to look at you know different paintings or and just sort of do your own interpretations of them and start you know kind of replicating what other people have done before you but it is really hard to get going so like I think a lot of people jump to like oh I need all the supplies like I'm not mm -hmm. a big supply I'm not like fancy I've never been this about my supplies because that can like hinder you from getting started so like if you're like I, I need the right paint and now I need the right desk to do it you know just like get a sketchbook and a pencil mm -hmm. and get started that way and maybe even like get a friend to keep you accountable <laughs> I get like intimidated by other, you know, other things that people do that I'm like, like writing, for example, that's, I would love to dive into writing and I don't really know where to start. So hmm. yeah. do you write? I used to, I mean, I write in a journal sometimes my yeah. feelings, <laughs> yeah. but no, I used to like writing. Um, yeah. You just have to kind of put pen to paper and go for it. Put on some music, have some wine, get in the mood. Right. You just have to like create that space for it. Otherwise it will never happen. Yeah. We're talking about all these amazing things you're doing and there are challenges, of course. What would you say is the least favorite part of your day or mm -hmm. the work that you less enjoy, which sometimes can drive you crazy because we have to be real here. Yeah, no, I'm, I can totally be real. Um, you are real. I just mean from the outside again, when I look at you, I yeah. think, wow, this ideal life, living yeah. your dream and your passion. So give yeah. me the nitty gritty. Yeah. I mean, I think the financial part of it is hard. Like people, I find the public or clients don't always value art the way I feel it should be valued. And so sometimes I find myself, I get into like conversations with people all the time about art, like, that I think, I think it's so important. Of course you have to art, have art around, but in the terms of like the totem pole of like what we need is the totem, like, you know, in terms of like our necessities, art sort of like, I think there recently people were like, what is an essential occupation? And like 70% said art like was one of the lowest ones. And mm -hmm. like, that's upsetting for me because like, if you look at cities or anywhere around the world, like when you go visit a new city, the first thing that you, kind of see as something artistic like a mu musicians or food or like think of all the landmarks like and mm -hmm. the eiffel tower and Earth, like those are all made by creators and artists mm -hmm. so the, no so it's so I, true i write a proposal or something for my piece and i have to deal with like the money side of it like i thankfully have come to a place where i understand how to price my work like i try and I know how much things cost and you know it is a big price like the materials cost a lot of money and i hate kind of having to send that to a client and then have them write back to me like uh this is way too expensive and having to like explain myself and mm -hmm. asking for money is like a, a really hard thing for art because people don't really understand what goes into it so um so a lot of people don't like asking for money anyway. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that makes them really uncomfortable. So did you, yeah. did you ever think you were going to have to be basically a, a fundraiser for yourself? Oh I mean, yeah. Essentially I, what you're doing. Yeah. It's really, 
it's really, really hard. And I try and find like creative ways to do things like, okay, how can, like, I try to help if it's a nonprofit or an organization, I try to help them in terms of thinking, how can we get this money together in terms of installing like humongous mosaics, like I do, there's like a lot of schlep <laughs> that comes, yes. goes into it. And like, I carry stuff all the time. Like people who know me, like yeah. I'll into them and I'm always like carrying something like yeah. I carry things all the time. So it's a very physical, uh, it's a very physical art. And so how big are the mosaics? How big are we talking? I mean, like I did one in, in, um, you know, the South in Israel, in the Arava, which was about like, I think it was 15 feet long, maybe more of 30 yeah. feet. Like, I, I don't even know how, like they're That's just hard. Yeah, it's really, really big. And so ceramics are so heavy. So like nobody generally sees me like freaking out about that stuff that I'm carrying and then I drop it and then everything breaks, you know, so that's like a tough part of it too. So totally. Yeah. And I like to get discouraged all the time when I'm rejected. Like I try and, you know, everyone always says rejection is good and, you know, it helps you and so on. And that's true. But like, if you just keep getting rejected from grants and, and projects like that, that's really challenging and can take a toll. So if that happens, how do you recover? If that happens, what's yeah. your next step? I mean, like I, I always like give myself a break a little bit. Like I'll like give myself a moment to be a, like, I need to let myself be upset about that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And then like mm -hmm. the next day just start moving on. But I try and like, when I'm applying for things, I try not to put, I've learned this the hard way, but like try not to put all my eggs in one basket because mm -hmm. I know there's such a small chance. So I try and apply to a few things at once. Hopefully something comes through. You really only need one thing. So, you know, totally. it's a game kind of. And my grandma, when I was a kid, or she's always said this to me, always throw um, as many balls in the air as you can, because one will always fall down. Mm -hmm. So just like keep throwing balls in the air because you never know what will happen. I think like the hardest thing that I do kind of struggle with the most is the respect of art. Mm -hmm. Like that's something I just feel like I'm always having conversations with people about, about like respecting that art is essential and is mm -hmm. an important occupation. So yeah. I'm sure a lot of people learn a lot from you and you're also someone who is, you're very friendly and personable and you're a great face for that because I think you're easy to talk to and people would want to engage with you and you're, you know, so you're representing art <laughs> by being you, which is pretty amazing, right? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten definitely, cause I work on the street, I've gotten into like real arguments with people. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get there's it. All kind, they're all kind of characters over here. Yeah, exactly. I so. wanted to know if you have a piece of advice or something you would say to someone who wants to take their passion and realize it and really make it part of their day-to-day -day like you have. I mean, where does someone begin or what's the best advice you think you could give? Uh, I think find, find people who are doing things you want to be doing. Like, look at the people who are successful and in, in the way they're doing it. Also, like, ask, ask them for help. Ask for help. I feel like I learned that the hard way. Like, I wasn't always comfortable asking people how it's going or how they're, how they're building their business. So um, ask for help. And then 
uh, just start. Like I wish I could mosaic like a huge wall that says start because everyone gets so frozen and like how to start like, oh, I'm only going to be able to start when I have a studio or when I have, you know, the amount of money I need to start or, you know, the support or the idea. But you mm-hmm. know, like, I think creativity creates more creativity. <laughs> so like, I, I you, my favorite term is start somewhere. Like, I just always repeat that to myself because, you know, if it's art or if it's exercise or if it's eating better, like you just need to do one thing at a time and it'll eventually pay off. Like I love seeing new artists like on Instagram, just like posting and, you know, they're trying to like get started and get going and you just need to be consistent and keep going. Mm -hmm. It's great advice. It's so true. (laughs) And it just, it's like you said, it translates to any aspect of our lives that we want to change or do something different starting it. It just takes one small step. Right. I think it's great advice. It's easier said than done. Yes, it is. uh, And also, you know, finding that thing you want to start. But like, most likely, if you think something is interesting, then someone else will. Like, if there's something you're interested in, like, for example, your podcast that you're doing, I think that's interesting, too. So I'm listening. You know, like, if you're, if if it seems cool to you, there will be, people will follow and listen. Or, or like watch or something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That feels good. So hopefully people are listening to this podcast. No, sure. <laughs> I'm kidding. We need to wrap up, but I think this was so awesome. And I think you have such a unique story and passion. I think it is very inspiring how you took something you loved and made it a reality. And you're making these statements on our city. Um, it's amazing. And I hope you come back soon. I know things are a bit crazy with Corona and where you're at. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks for doing this. I'm so honored to be here on your podcast. 